Hello there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. For this particular interview, I'm sat next to a rod pod on the banks of a Grand Canarian lake with British expat carp angling guide Dave Beecham, who runs the all-inclusive guiding service Carp Fishing Grand Canaria. This morning, Dave picked us up outside our hotel for the spectacular one-hour drive up into the mountains for a session on one of the man-made reservoirs there, using a full range of quality tackle, bait and a light snack included, all in the daily rate. It would probably be useful at this point to understand a little about the history and geography involved here. The Canary Islands are the exposed tops of a group of volcanic mountains protruding above the deep Atlantic Ocean to the west of the North African coast. Unlike most pieces of land on our planet which slowly drifted apart as a result of plate tectonics and continental drift, the Canaries simply appeared and as such have never been physically linked to anything else. So all the plants and animals here have either found their way across by their own means or have been introduced. In addition to this, none of the Canary Islands have natural fresh water systems in the way that we in the UK might understand them. These are particularly mountainous islands with lots of steep ravines in which small seasonal pools created by rain runoff into natural indentations can form. Otherwise, no regular rivers or lakes and certainly no naturally occurring freshwater fish. But what they do have are a number of quite sizable reservoirs up in the mountains created by dams to collect water for irrigation purposes. And fearing that some of these might become choked with weed, carp have been introduced to grub about stirring up the sediments which in turn colours the water, preventing light penetration, thereby limiting the potential for weed growth. The only fish in these lakes are carp and American largemouth bass. But for angling purposes, carp are the dominant fish. And with much higher than UK average water temperatures promoting excellent food intake to body weight conversion, some of these lakes have become a carp angler's paradise. The fact that the Canaries also just happen to be a popular family holiday destination, and you don't need to take or smuggle fishing tackle away from the family's gaze into your suitcase, is another big plus. Creating an opportunity either to take a break fairly close to home and just fish for carp, or as part of a family holiday, have the odd day fishing, which is what I'm doing here today but without the hassle of having to bring anything with you other than your camera to record a personal best. I'm going to kick things off by looking at the man himself and the service provided. So what can you tell us about your own personal history and your carp fishing CV? Started fishing when I was seven. I'm 48 now. Started fishing for carp when I was 14. So that's what, a long time. <laughs> 38 years I've been a carp angler. Started off at Dartford Lakes, Brooklands, Darrenth, back in Kent. Back end days. My first carp actually was £19 and in them days it was a big fish. And my second carp was £25, two ounces. I'll never forget it because I made the whole lake jealous. That was back in the 70s which was sort of fish to catch and half then. Um, discovered the Canaries, let's think, on holiday. 23 years ago I was in a bar in uh, Play de Linglais talking to a friend who was a DJ about carp. And luckily enough there was a guy in there at the time said straight away there's carp in the mountains. So the day after that he was up in a higher car looking around. I think it was two weeks after that I came home and done a bit of fishing. <laughs> and that's how it started, but in the early days I didn't know nothing about the lake. A lot of blanking went on, you know. But I fished it a long, long time before France ever come along, because this was a place, and then France come along, big lakes, reservoirs, rivers, and then of course the commercial side of it, people buying land, digging holes or whatever they were doing. I don't like that side of fishing, me. I like to catch the wild ones. But I've done that, Belgium, Holland, went everywhere, Canada, all over the place. 
but just still like the canaries, not for the size of the fish, but the beauty of them. Fully scaled mirrors, nice plated fish, lovely and very hard fighting fish. And it come to a date nine years ago, 2003, 2000, end of 2002-2003, thought to myself I've had enough of the UK. And to actually change our minds, we got broken into. The house got broken into and that made our minds up for us to leave. So we left and we came here, remortgaged the house, had enough money for a couple of years, got some flyers printed, basically from day one, got people. Because we made sure flyers were in all the hotels and we got people. But as um, time going on, it's, it's got better and better and better. I've got the sponsors now with Nash and Solo, who gives me a few parts, but Nash obviously gives me the 90% of what I need. Um, I now work with Thomas Cook Thompson, with TUI, the European side of things, just signed a contract with Cosmos, and also a shipping company for cruises, which I've had no one off them yet, but there you go. And the current business, as it now stands, whole operation, good, I'd say. Yeah, keeps me busy, pays the bills, I think. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mentioned in my intro that there are a number of these damned irrigation lakes, of which this particular one is probably the biggest. So how many others are there? What sorts of sizes do they get to? And most important of all, how do they rate or compare in terms of carp producing potential? How many irrigation reservoirs are there? They say there's 62, I think, if you count all the small ones. But some of them run dry over the years. I think you've got Soria, Presidichira, where we are, uh, Nenius. They're all major ones. You've got the ones up north, which I can't run off off my tongue because the names are just too long to even think about. But yeah, I'd probably say there's about 45 lakes which, which are used for this. Sizes of the rest. This is, well, I think when it's full, it's probably about, it's got to be getting on for 150 acres. 160 when it's full. You've got Soria, which is a bit bigger. Nenius, which is probably about 100, 110. So, yeah, a lot of water. And most important, how do they rate and compare in terms of carp? Well, Nenius hasn't got anything big. I don't know why, but there's nothing big in it. All three or four pounders. At the biggest. Soria, which, yeah, I've had fish to 30 pound out many years ago. This one, fish to 46. I know I have a 50 coming out, but there's another one. Up north, which I fished, and I've had the biggest fish from the Canaries out there, 55 pound common, which was a great fish. There's some very, very big fish in there, but they're very few and far between, and they take a lot of time to fish for. So, uh, when you've got a business like this, you can't take time out and keep going fishing. Accessibility. Right. Sheer of good, I'd say. Um, we have some apartments there now, where we can park when the lake's full. It's so, it's, it's fantastic, because you can almost fish out your door. We have a bit more land now on a place called Cactus Bay, which is in uh, West Arm of Shearer. So we keep the bivvies up, rods up all the time. Park the car, perfect. I'd say access is, is good. The road bank, obviously, if you've got somebody who's not too good on their toes, we can always go around there. But the main areas are fish are baited all the time, so we try and stick to the places around there near the apartments. Right. Fish mix and species. Carp and black bass. <laughs> That's about it. Just carp and black bass. I've never known of anything else to get caught apart from the odd goldfish and a koi, which is obviously carp family. Which contain biggest individual numbers of carp? I'd say Shearer for the biggest population. But Soria is coming on again. It's got a lot of carp in there. But not, not you know, doubles and not the 20s and 30s, which this place has got. Uh, typical day. Good, really. Normally get one, minimum. Sometimes two or three, you have the odd red letter day where you can catch 
seven or eight. Had been known to catch 24 in a day, which was totally unbelievable. Normally one fish in three, I'd say is over 30 pounds, many of them 25 to 28. Best individual fish a client has had with me was 46 pounds. Now I did hear that after an initial surge of interest by UK carp anglers with fish caught in excess of £50, establishing Grand Canary as a must-visit venue on the international carp fishing scene, a series of low rainfall years which sent water levels plummeting caused a lot of problems. Reports I read quoted Chira, for example, as shrinking to as little as 8 hectares, with large numbers of carp fatalities as a result. In 1981, it sort of took off a bit, Kevin Nash. I think I was actually fishing it before him. Because I found out about it before him, but yeah, they, Kevin Nash and Rod Hutchins and they all came. But it did lose, we didn't have any proper rain for four years. It did lose a lot of water. But I don't think quite as many fish died as people said they did. But it was bad, yeah. But now I think there's possibly more fish in here than ever. We get rain every year, and at the moment we've got five years worth of rain in the lake. So I can't see it drying up in five years and having no more rain. Let's hope so anyway. What effect then did this have on visitor numbers and has there been any long-term damage as a result? Basically I think carp anglers just didn't come anymore. It went for a few years without anything, for sure. Just to look at it, it was putting them off I think. And with improved volumes of water and the carp thriving, from around 2009, financial restrictions on people are now starting to become a factor. What effect then has this had on visitor numbers to the islands and presumably also to your business? Yeah, I'm quite lucky, really, because I'm a one-man band and I work with a whole island, not like a bar who needs people in there every night to eat or drink to pay his wages. If I get one person, obviously it's not fantastic, but if I get one person, it puts food on the table. If I get two, three, four, even better. But I work with most of the hotels on the island now, and as I said, with the tour operators, and I can normally pull three or four people a day, plus the holidays with the apartments, which is now taking off. I suppose in some ways it could be argued that the current economic uncertainty might even have helped in that while money is tight, rather than cutting out sunshine holidays altogether, customers who might previously have gone further afield are limiting the spend to somewhere near a home, and as such, potentially more as opposed to less could be visiting the Canary Islands. Or has visitor interest still declined? It did for a while, definitely for a year it, it went slow a bit, but I still managed to scrape through. But there was a lot of bars and restaurants... Um, in trouble but now we get a lot of scandinavians which fill the place up basically and although they're not great for me they're good for the restaurants and the bars because they don't go fully inclusive like the brits so they go out and eat and drink every night so at least the bars and the restaurants get five months a year where they can make their money where of course people on fully inclusive i still take them fishing they still go out for a day so that's where i don't lose so you get a phone call from a customer you pick up at the hotel and drive up into the mountains what exactly do they get for the money? 65 euros, I picked them up. Different times of the day, in the summer I wasn't picking people up till 2 o'clock in the afternoon because it was an impossible task to catch a fish till after dark, where it was so hot. This time of year, you can catch them through the day. Best time afternoon. Pick them up, drive them through the mountains an hour's drive. They get soft drinks, mostly water in the summer, that's all you need. Uh, your food, a light lunch. They get their two rods set up. All Nash equipment, quality stuff, chair to sit on, everything they need really, don't, they don't want for anything. So I've been told. <laughs> a case of fancy your chances and just turn up then? Just turn up, pick them up. Um, I have a travel agency number now as well, I, put, I make sure I put that. In case anybody picks up on it, that means I can pick people up and take them where I need to take them. Now although we're not fishing with boilies today, for reasons which will be explained, the last time I fished with you we did. That said, 
An angling publication back home suggested that if you want to catch a British record for many coarse fish species, or a specimen representative of the record, you now need to fish high-protein baits. In addition to that, it also claimed that as most users of these baits tend to fish them on self-hooking bolt rigs, not only is the art of fishing other baits being lost as a result, but also the more skillful techniques that go with them, the result being that a good proportion of coarse anglers are developing into unskilled specimen hunters with a high threshold of boredom, willing to wait for as long as it takes just to catch that special fish. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I like to use boilies, and some of my friends are always called their biggest fish on boilies, and I know some of the biggest records have come to boilies, but they also like particles. And with places like this where you can't use boilies through the summer, in sh- anything under 20 foot will be stolen by a turtle. <laughs> so we use nuts of some sort, obviously um, well cooked, with maize or hemp as a ground bait. But yeah, boilies, but particles certainly catch some uh, big fish. I'd say as many as boilies. Boilies are very expensive too. <laughs> And the suggestion that traditional skills are being lost as a result of high-protein baits and self-hooking rigs? I'd say that, yeah, which we didn't do, obviously. I started fishing for seven, and I fished for a few years before I even picked up a carp rod. And I waited a year before I caught my first carp. But yeah, nowadays you can buy everything off the shelf, and you couldn't then. A carp rod would cost you about 200 quid. You know, the carbon ones, and you couldn't even buy a bag of boilies. And you had to make most things yourself. I remember making my first set of alarms. And using pomane corks in the butts for my rods <laughs> as butt stops. So, yeah, but I think, yeah, it's, you're getting a lot of people now, youngsters especially, going out buying all the kit. And they wait a month, don't catch anything, and then it'll sell it all again on eBay. That's definitely what's going on. But to the good old uh, specimen hunter like me and a few of my friends, yeah, boredom doesn't come into it. It's just sitting on a lake enjoying what's going on around you. Yeah, but your outlook doesn't mirror the majority. And lazy self-hooking tactics are now seen as the norm. Yeah, but I, I still love to fish simple. You know, I fish the same rig now as I did years ago, and I think some of the finest carp anglers in the land still do. All right, you, you tweak it a little bit and change it for different the way the bottom is, but other than that, you know, I just use the same one. Carp, in my mind, are bottom feeders. All right, they do feed, feed midwater. Zig rig catches them, but certainly a bottom bait catches more, I'd say. Zig rig? It's a, it's a name for a rig which we always used to use years ago. Like anchored crust, you put your line through your lead and put your crust on, cast it out, and then let it up through the water until it gets to the top, and then pull it down an inch or two every time. But they call it a zig rig now. So if the fish are f- uh, moving in mid-water, you can catch them in mid-water on this rig. You know, you can bring it down or up to whatever level you, you're doing, but I don't have great success with that one here. Mostly bottom baits. I think where it's, t- where it's very warm in the summer, they just want to get down. And the same in the winter, they just want to get down, you know? It's, it's one of them, really. And I noticed today, as opposed to last time, that you're rowing the baits out individually to specific spots and dropping the loose feed down right on top of them. Presumably, this will have improved your catch rate. Well, the thing is, we've got the bait boats, which I don't like using anymore. If you legally use a boat, use one. It's so accurate, and if you've only got 89 hours to try and catch a carp, you know your ground bait is around it, and using very light seed particles, it's impossible to put them out with a catapult. And then you've got to spot them, and you spend an hour and a half making a noise. At least with a boat, you're out, you're silent, everything's done, you're back again, you're fishing in ten minutes. I suppose that's another plus point for fishing outside of the UK. 100%, yeah, for sure. But everywhere I fish in the Canaries, it's done the same. And I would imagine it would work everywhere else, but you're just not allowed to use them anywhere else. Mm. <laughs> boat bands and this band and that band. That's probably why. So how do you see the future, not only for Grand Canaria, but for continental carp fishing generally? 
It's gone crazy, isn't it, the last few years? I mean, people can think the bubble's burst, but it just keeps going. More lakes opening up in France. Um, I think carp anglers are a bit miffed sometimes. Not necessarily carp anglers have been doing it for a long time, but people who just want to go to France and catch a 50 or 60 pounder, it seems crazy to me. When they've only ever caught a 10 pounder beforehand, you know? You can come to places like this and catch the most beautiful 30 pound fully scaled fish, which will fight harder than any of those 50 pound uh, bat buggers from uh, France, in my eyes anyway. So, yeah, you know, it's a nice place to be. And in terms of business opportunities and visitor numbers, do you see that picking up? Yeah, it's gone up this year for sure, and it seems to be going up all the time. Every time I think, oh, no phone calls, it rings again. And it just keeps ringing. And emails, 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 you know. Holidays for next year are up. I think I've got eight or nine already for the first two months, and they just keep coming. So, yeah, hopefully they will just keep coming. No regrets, then, at leaving the UK? No regrets at all, no. <laughs> None at all. None. No. My parents and my daughter, that's it. Other than that, if they weren't around, God forbid the day comes, I wouldn't go back. No way. I'd go somewhere else. I've got no, yeah, no issues with the UK anymore. I'm missing out when I leave here, aren't I? <laughs> Looking at the fishing itself now, we're actually at Presa de Chira today, which I fished with you before. In fact, last time out I had a PB here. But there are other similar lakes in the area. So out of what's available, which, in your opinion, fishes the best? I'd say this one, Shearer. Definitely. Yeah, Shearer. The other ones I've fished are very hard. Maybe not a lot of fish, but a lot of water. Yeah, the most prolific, definitely. Catch more fish out of here than anywhere. Daily trips are probably 70% chance, really. 75%. Sometimes a bit more. Yeah, definitely Shearer. Now, it's obviously man-made, with a large concrete dam at one end of the ravine. Looking at the surrounding terrain, depths must drop away quite dramatically. So despite its physical size, not all of it's going to be suitable carp habitat. Tell us then a bit about the subsurface geography. My guess is that it has a muddy base for the carp to grub about in, which presumably is why they were introduced in the first place to cloud the water up, thereby inhibiting the weed. You've got a lot of mud here and there, silt pockets and stuff. You can see it when the water's low, you know, you can see these areas. Because what they do a lot of the farmers... They bring their tractors in and they take a lot of the silt for the soil for their potato fields. It's obviously full of nutrients and everything else. But that works well for them. It goes down to 150 feet in places maybe when the water's up, maybe even 200. But I've seen 150 on the fish finder and I know it does go deeper here and now. So yeah, you've got a lot of water out there. But not all of it is potentially fishable. No, the deepest I've ever caught a carp in here I think was about 70, 80 feet. No, nothing after that. Only two fish I've caught with that depth. And that was just trial and error, trying to catch a fish. Now you mentioned earlier that you're still seeing lots of new fish. Yeah, loads of them. There's thousands in here. And I think that where nobody fishes it anymore, maybe just one or two rods on it at any one time, it's going to be hard work to catch them all. Definitely. And a lot of the smaller ones are growing all the time. You catch a few small common carp, but not too many small mirrors. One or two, but not many. Most of them are sort of 20, 20 pound plus. Has nobody ever taken scales from any of these fish to try to work out the growth rates? What I know of, definitely not. No. That'd be interesting, though. It certainly would. Anyway, moving on. Tactically speaking, does your basic approach in terms of water depth and bait choice vary on a month-by-month -month or season-by-season -season basis? I just use the same rigs, whatever month it is. The same old thing just seems to keep working. So, you know, don't mend something what's not broken, as they say. 
But in terms of switching between high-protein and particle baits, that's a decision forced upon you by the turtles diving down to get the boilies. Yeah, obviously nut baits I use. I found anything down to sort of 18, 20 foot, the turtles will go down there. And the areas where I fish seems to be more turtles than on the main lake. So I stick to the nut baits. Up until maybe December and they'll turn over to the boilies. I won't even turn over to the boilies if I'm catching on the nuts, I just stick to them, you know. I've caught hundreds of fish this year and the year before, all of them. So yeah, just stick to them. Brazil nuts are a good one. Tiger nuts, of course. Just fished over particles, as I said earlier on. Yeah, the boilies, I mean, uh, I do use the Nash variety, which is Scopex Squid Robin Red. I've caught a lot on that. But as I said, uh, I don't want to bait out there, especially with clients, knowing it might be gone after the first hour of fishing. Because, it, it, you know, I've wound them in sometimes just to look at them one hour after fishing and they've gone. <laughs> well, they come back like an apple core. Back in the UK, nut baits have had some bad press recently, probably resulting from people not preparing them properly, which can lead to digestion problems in the fish that eat the loose feed. So tell us about the preparation process you use. Any nut bait I, I soak for at least two or three days. And then I boil them up until they're as soft as you can get them. Tiger nuts you obviously can't get soft, but you boil them up so they won't swell anymore. So the fish can break them down. But I think what a lot of people do... Well, say they a lot of people do. I don't know any carp anglers who do it. Prepare them wrong. Because why are you going to prepare something wrong which is going to harm the fish? But then you've got companies like Nash Dynamite who sell prepared nuts and prepared particles. So if they were going to be that bad for the fish, the top companies wouldn't sell them, I wouldn't have thought. I think there's a ban on them a lot of places. Because people may put too many in and you only need a handful. But they also work well. So some fisheries might not want something which is working to give somebody that little edge, you know? Maybe... A lot of different things looking into it. How do you think the carp fishing here on Gran Canaria compares to other well-known destinations throughout the rest of Europe? I think what it is, other parts of Europe, people have got this bee in their bonnet about catching big carp. I know a lot of guys now don't even take photos of 40-pound carp. and They want a 50 or a 60 or even bigger. To me, it's not all about the size, it's about catching these uncaught fish which have never been caught before. Hard-fighting fish and pretty fish. You know, that's carp fishing at the end of the day. Not catching fish with names like so many people do. I like to catch them without names. <laughs> I'm not saying I haven't in the past because I have been a bit like that, but now my fishing's all in these lakes when nobody knows what's in there, which is great fishing. So how does the total carp fishing scene here compare to that of the UK then? Totally different. The UK peer pressure on every lake. Bivvies, rods everywhere. Here, as we're looking out the tent today... No one. <laughs> Apart from us three. That's all you get on any of the lakes on this island. The busiest lake of all would be this one. And that's only a handful of people at any one time. And to target the question a little more, how does it compare here to the UK, in terms of Mr Average, say, getting a PB? I think to, to people on day trips, a 30-pounder is very accessible here. You've got a good chance of catching one, and a lot of the guys who come on these trips don't fish the lakes back in the UK with many 30s in. So, yeah, a 30-pounder is, you can catch one quite easily, for sure. One in three, I'd say. And what size, ultimately, do you think may come out of one of these lakes? I don't know. As I said, I've seen one just over 50-pound, and I've heard stories from years ago. And the locals have told me they've seen big fish. As I said, we've caught much 46, but I'd like to think there's bigger in here. Who knows? As I said, we're still catching fish you've never seen. So one day that big one might turn up. With the last question still in mind... 
We were chatting earlier about a new and as yet undisclosed venue, which might just turn out to be the best of the best. Yeah, you can't fish the place, actually. We was an eye arrested. It's like a bird sanctuary and like a, a beauty place. It's only a small place, but yeah, I caught two fish. One of £42 and one of 48 and certainly, certainly saw much bigger in the time I was there before we were told to leave. So we're waiting to see what can happen. Guardia Civil said no way, but we've sent some letters to the government seeing what can happen if we can fish it. Certainly big fish. Without a doubt. Full of them. <laughs> yeah. One area we haven't touched on yet is hand tackle, which I feel it's important that people listening in know about, because it might just save them bringing along their own gear, with all the aircraft weight implications that involves. Right, yeah, Rod, so you see three-pound test curve Nash, 12 foot, because you need something with a bit of beef in it here, because they're quite strong fish. Nash pods, simple, just a bait runner reels, because you're only fishing short distances, so you don't need the big reels. Fluorocarbon throughout, or Nash bullet. 18 pounds straight through Nash rubber clip or solar rubber clip lead fluorocarbon hook link size 4 hook not this knot that's it simple now I noticed that you've got mono on the reels is there any particular tactical reason for that as opposed to using braid I use braid if I'm fishing really snaggy areas mate but when the water's higher I've been known to use braid because you've got a lot of rocks in close and when the fish dive down they cut you off so yeah, I've been known to use braid then, but at the moment when the water's a little bit lower, fluorocarbon's great. You can pull a car along with the stuff. And I can't see it, so the fish can't see it. <laughs> and fluorocarbon's very cheap here in Grand Canaria. I think you can buy almost a mile of line for about 30 euros. And I think about 200 yards of fluorocarbon in, in the UK is probably 30 euros. Really? So that's a big difference. What can you tell us about the largemouth bass fishing? Might it offer a bit of a distraction while you're waiting for the carp to come along? I do possess some spinning rods and bits and pieces, but at the moment I've got no lures. <laughs> but this time of year as well is a bit difficult for the bass. They like the warmer weather for sure. They come around the margins, and especially after, you know, when the fish are spawned, gets them around the edges. Grasshoppers with a matchstick in the summer. Can't stop catching them. One after the other. If you've got the children on a day out, it's perfect. Do all the lakes contain bass? All the lakes contain black bass and carp, and as far as I know, no other species. And what about the fishing here today? How do you reckon that's gone? What time did we get here? This morning, ten. Picked up at nine, ten o'clock. Fish from ten till five, three carp to twenty-nine pound. Not bad. The weather's been a bit on and off. A bit cold and a bit warm. Now it's lovely. So yeah, it's good. Another good day. As a rule, normally pretty much like this. One, two, three fish. Because the bait's been going in the same spots day in, day out, the fish just know where it is now. The other thing is, if you need to get in touch with me, you can go carpgrandcanaria.com, carpfishinggrandcanaria.com. You can email me at info at Costa del Carping. And also, if you're on holiday with a tour operator, Thomas Cook or Thompson, you can book through the tour operators. Actually, I picked up on your operation from a flyer on a small billboard down at the harbour after spending a particularly rough day offshore looking for amberjacks. So a nice spot of relaxing carp fishing sounded like just the ticket. And it was on that trip, as I said earlier, that I had my PB. So thanks very much, Dave, for that. And thanks, too, for also taking some time out to talk to us here. Mm-hmm.